couple of weeks ago, a really mangy and rabid possum showed up in our backyard, found a home under our shed and would crawl over to the limp his way and his scars all down one side of his body. had obviously been tacked by another animal and would climb its way over to our little water fountain in the backyard and kind of pull itself up in order to get a drink and then it would sort of drunkenly stagger in its rabid way back to its hole underneath the shed. And I remember thinking to myself, that is disgusting. Like you, you can't unsee that, right? Yesterday, my little dog uh, had to let it out in the backyard, and I don't know what Charlie ate or whatnot, but he was just like, his whole body was retching, and he was throwing up, and I'm sitting out the window watching this, and I'm thinking, you can't unsee that. And I have five kids at home, so there's been some spills and some really ugly child cleanup over the years, and there's lots of moments where your stomach's turning and you want to throw up yourself, and you're thinking, like, I can't unsee this. I'm going to remember this. And there's these things like this you can't undo. We've tried to have expressions in English for um, what it means when you can't put toothpaste back in the tube, when you can't unravel what's already been done. And what happens as we walk all year long through the Gospel of John in this missional document, this gospel that has been God's sending letter to all who will come after Jesus about this is what you're supposed to do. And this gospel has really been built this way. It's this missional document, this letter of sending, this commissioning over all of those who will go out. There's this, there's this sense finally when we get to the end of this the incredibly anticlimactic Jesus has just conquered the grave. You have left the grave behind, and so will I. But what is so will I mean? And we experience, by the time we get to the end of the gospel, a failure to launch on behalf of the disciples. And what Jesus wants to communicate with them, of course, on the other side of the grave, on the other side of the resurrection, is you can't go back. You can't unsee this. You can't undo. You can't go back to pretending like this never happened. This has to change everything. So we're going to pick up the story in the last chapter of John. We see the disciples in this moment of their sort of stumbling along, even now on the other side of the grave, still trying to figure out, which I think in terms of a sending document is incredibly helpful for all of us who also live on the other side of Easter, who also live on the other side of the conquering of death, but still find ourselves stumbling along to understand what does this mean that he left the grave behind, and so will I. It's from John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered back. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. 
When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the, disciples whom, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon heard, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I think I've shared with you before that the practice I do in preparing for a message is I read through a text, and then I read it again, and I read it again, and I read it again. I keep doing this repetitive process, and still I start to ask questions of the text. And I fill up one whole page of all the questions I want to ask this text, and I got a lot of questions. Like, why does Peter put clothes on in order to jump in the water? Why is there 153 fish? Why, when they still don't even recognize Jesus, do they listen to the voice of a stranger on the shore telling them how to fish? They were fishermen. I don't go over a walk in Sioux Center, show up to somebody under the hood of their car knowing nothing about mechanics and start offering advice. Mine would sound like, have you checked the flex capacitor? You know, like, <laughs> why would you listen to some stranger you can't make out through the fog on the beach unless you are such impressionable people? Maybe like sheep without a shepherd looking for guidance. Why in the chapter before were they behind closed doors for fear of the Jews? And at least there's been a little bit of growth. They're no longer hiding in a locked room. They're actually out. But why have they gone back to their default mode? But this isn't unlike us, right? Whenever we hit a point of confusion, we go back to the things that we think we already know. The Israelites get freed out of slavery in Egypt, and they end up begging and complaining to Moses. At least back in Egypt, we had food. So we would rather go back to the slavery we knew than the freedom we don't. The disciples, too, don't know what to do with this newfound freedom. And so they just kind of revert back to the things that they knew before. Ever return back to the sin that you already knew? Rather than the freedom that you've yet to learn? I feel like that's half the days of my life. And then he makes some breakfast. Why is Jesus making them fish when they have nets full of it? It's so strange in this passage what happens. And much has been made of 
Jesus recreating the fire scene where a few chapters before Peter had betrayed him beside a fire and there's this sort of recreation of the symbols in this moment where Peter's going to become reinstated fireside and three times Jesus is going to give him the opportunity to declare him as Lord for the three times that he had denied him beside a fire. And there's a setup with that, but there's another setup inside of this that harkens back to another time when they were beside the lake and Jesus took bread and fish and gave it to them and put the miracles in their hand and in an act of faith, they received from Jesus and then turned around to a crowd of thousands and somehow stepped forward in faith, knowing that Jesus was going to guide the process. And from about chapter 8 or 9 on in the Gospel of John, he keeps putting the miracles back into their hands. And the sending of the 12 and the sending of the 72, he, he teaches them to go out and do what he has been doing. And he gives them this, gives them this super long speech about how you're going to do even greater stuff than this. And he keeps preparing them and preparing them and preparing them. And then he catches them in this moment of failure to launch where the seven Galileans have gone back to Galilee and reverted to everything that they knew before. And there's a failure to launch. And Jesus is so sweet in his restoration and his approach. And his rebuke is so calm and in some ways even beautiful. And oh, Peter. John's always first with the insight and Peter always thinks with his feet and just kind of jumps into the moment and then Peter realizes what's going on and then he jumps ship on jumping ship on Jesus and returns to him. And oddly enough, the six other guys left in the boat didn't have enough strength to get the fish, but then when they get to the shore, then Peter goes back and he can haul it out somehow all by himself. This is really weird. But consider where they are in the moment that's being recreated back in the Sea of Galilee where they had grown up, but it can't ever be the same. Jesus met them in a boat in a storm on this lake. It came out of nowhere and they thought they were going to die and then he calmed the wind and the waves and they were terrified at what they saw in front of them. And another time he had taken them a boat across to the other side and there was a demoniac who couldn't even be contained because of the chains on his body and he would break them and he would hurt himself and he would scream out and everybody was terrified of him. And Jesus took him there and he freed that man from his captivity. He taught the lame to walk by simply speaking over them. He gave sight back to the blind. The disciples got to see all of this. He took them to a party and he turned water into wine and all of these things in Galilee and around this area. And then he took them to the Roman outpost there and asked them to declare, who do you say that I am? And all of these things happen in this place. And they want to go back as if None of this has happened. And he graduates them from the room. If you're going back to the next station, the next season of life, or maybe even to the place where you were brought up, you may not go back the same. You and I live on the other side of Easter. You see, what Jesus wants and needs the disciples to understand is that these aren't memories that you're going to tell, but these are stories that you must now live. You have to enter into this. You cannot be the same. The resurrection has to change everything. It has to wreck you. And unless it fully wrecks us, we can't fully enter into the story. 
Nothing is going to be the same ever again. Last Sunday I was sitting in church and Pastor Travis Ellis was preaching and he said this line in the middle of his sermon. It was just kind of this quick little line and he said something to this effect that you are never ever going to be closer to hell than you already are in this moment. Like, this is as close as you're ever going to get because of what's been done on that day. Like, heaven is breaking in, and we get to experience the inbreaking of that, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And because of that moment, we won't taste death in the same way ever again. Everything's changed. And it's interesting to me in this text that instead of rebuking them for missing it, what Jesus says to them is, bring some of your fish. Notice he's already made fish and bread for them. He's ready to feed them again. He's not going to test them. He's just going to feed them. And he says, bring what you got. Jesus doesn't need their fish. But he wants their entrance into that moment. Jesus doesn't need your skills. He doesn't need your GPA. He's not going to pout himself to sleep tonight if you don't submit more of yourself into his hands. And he's not going to be any less God or any less resurrected the less that you and I enter into the resurrection. Jesus doesn't need what you and I have to offer. But he wants us to have life and have it in abundance. And he knows that we only experience that when we enter into the fullness of the flourishing of what he has to offer. Jesus doesn't need you. But he wants you. Jesus doesn't just love you. He likes you. He is fond of you. He doesn't just want to be your savior. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be at breakfast with you. He wants to correct the little things that are going wrong and allow you to experience flourishing. And when you're laboring at something through your, through your own strength and not accomplishing what he designed for you to f experience through that or the fullness of it, he'll correct you. He said only a few chapters before, apart from me, you can do nothing. These are fishermen. They should know what they're doing. But Jesus knows so much more. And he needs them to trust in his wisdom. Those of you who are graduating, congratulations. You're going to have a piece of paper in your hand that says, you know a little bit about something. But Jesus knows everything about everything. And your success in life, just like the disciples in the boat, is not going to depend on your technique or your skill or your GPA, or your references, the cleverness of your wit, the size of your vocabulary, the people that you know in high places, your success and your flourishing in life will not depend on all of these things, not on your work ethic, not on your confidence, not on the doors that you've opened, and the opportunities that will lie in front of you. Your success and your flourishing will depend, as the disciples teach us in this story, upon your ability to be obedient to Jesus. Because you know a little bit about something. But he knows everything about everything. 
And so now the great temptation is going to be when you leave this place and go out into what everybody else is going to call the real world, right? When you're not in this, this safe community of, of fellow believers and you're in difficult places and in difficult conversations in the workplace and you face temptations that you don't now or maybe you just simply do but in a strengthening level of degree, you need to understand that in that place in the real world, there's not a single concession to be made for the follower of Jesus Christ. And you were not called to go into that moment and react and respond. You were called to go there and to lead. Let me let you in on a little secret. There is no real world or some place where Jesus doesn't make the sun come up that morning. There is not one person of the seven billion on this planet that Jesus is not granting life to and sustaining and holding up and together right now. There is not a moment that you are going to encounter in life that Jesus has not walked before you with. There's not a problem that you're going to face that you have to solve that Jesus doesn't know the answer to. Yeah, but in the real world, like there's a world that Jesus doesn't reign over. Do not make a single concession, do not compromise the gospel. Don't ever act like he didn't rise from the dead. Don't fail to launch in your life because we're too afraid to experience the fullness of what Jesus has to offer. Don't let your fishing be in futility when the wisdom of Jesus is telling you to do something different. Don't labor only at your own strength when the wisdom of God wants to lead you into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus knows everything about everything, even death. My friends, you need not be afraid. It might feel at times like we live in the margins, but you have answers. You have a crying inside of you for justice that the world longs for. You have insight into all of the world's problems because of the wisdom of Jesus Christ that is within you. Do not be put aside. Serve with the love of Christ in every situation you are given and in every relationship that you have. Lead with the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Love with the love of Jesus Christ. There's no going back. Jesus rose from the dead. And you, as much as the twelve, are sent in the same way. In the next verses, Jesus is going to take Peter aside and restore him in all of his brokenness and ask him, do you love me? And then what does he say? Feed my sheep. Then he asks him again, do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed them. If your answer to the question, do you love me, from Jesus, is yes, Lord, you know that I love you then his answer back to you is go and feed the world. Go and feed them in all the places they don't even know that they're hungry in. In the longings that they can't articulate, but I put within them so they would search for me. You have those answers. You have that Christ. You are that presence. 
And Jesus doesn't need you in that, but he wants you, and I hope you hear that in the spirit of freedom. You are invited in. Go. Get out of here. And go and be a blessing. And hear the voice of Jesus. Feed my sheep. Let me ask John and the rest of the team to come back up, and while they do, will you join me in prayer? Father, we ask that your power of the Holy Spirit, we would be aware of how much it is absolutely coursing through us. The opportunities and the freedom and the closeness to you that was created for us because of Christ conquering the grave. May we not go back. May we not live like a Good Friday Christians, but like Easter Christians. On the place where every day the kingdom of God continues to break in, and may the voices, the bodies that continue to leave here serve and love like you love. You gather the disciples and you told them a new command I give you, love one another. Just that. And teach us to do that well in classrooms, in halls of justice, in fields where crops grow, in broken places in the margins, in our homes, in the neighborhoods that we move into, and of all the jobs that we hold, and all the places that you will call us. May we live out the power of the resurrection because you are in us and have gone before. We're still trying to catch up. In the name of the one who calls us, died for us, and lives within us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.